chapter thirty seven of the history of pendennis this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the history of pendennis by william makepeace thackeray where pen appears in town and country let us be allowed to pass over a few months of the history of mr arthur pendennis's lifetime during the which many events may have occurred which were more interesting and exciting to himself than they would be likely to prove to the reader of his present memoirs we left him in his last chapter regularly entered upon his business as a professional writer or literary hack as mr warrington chooses to style himself and his friend and we know how the life of any hack legal or literary in a curacy or in a marching regiment or at a merchant's desk is dull of routine and tedious of description one day's labour resembles another much too closely a literary man has often to work for his bread against time or against his will or in spite of his health or of his indolence or of his repugnance to the subject on which he is called to exert himself just like any other daily toiler when you want to make money by pegasus as he must perhaps who has no other saleable property farewell poetry and aerial flights pegasus only rises now like mr green's balloon at periods advertised beforehand and when the spectator's money has been paid pegasus trots in harness over the stony pavement and pulls a cart or a cab behind him often pegasus does his work with panting sides and trembling knees and not seldom gets a cut of the whip from his driver do not let us however be too prodigal of our pity upon pegasus there is no reason why this animal should be exempt from labour or illness or decay any more than any of the other creatures of god's world if he gets the whip pegasus often deserves it and i for one am quite ready to protest my friend george warrington against the doctrine which poetical sympathizers are inclined to put forward viz that of letters and what is called genius are to be exempt from prose duties of this daily bread-wanting tax-paying life and not to be made to work and pay like their neighbours well then the pell-mell gazette being duly established and arthur pendennis's merits recognised as a flippant witty and amusing critic he worked away hard every week preparing reviews of such works as came into his department and writing his reviews with flippancy certainly but with honesty and to the best of his power it might be that a historian of threescore who had spent a quarter of a century in composing a work of which our young gentleman disposed in the course of a couple of days reading at the british museum was not altogether fairly treated by such a facile critic or that a poet who had been elaborating sublime sonnets and odes until he thought them fit for the public and for fame was annoyed by two or three dozen pert lines in mr penn's review in which the poet's claims were settled by the critic as if the latter were my lord on the bench and the author a miserable little suitor trembling before him the actors at the theatres complained of him woefully too and very likely he was too hard upon them but there was not much harm done after all 
it is different now as we know but there were so few great historians or great poets or great actors in penn's time that scarce any at all came up for judgment before his critical desk those who got a little whipping got what in the main was good for them not that the judge was any better or wiser than the persons whom he sentenced or indeed ever fancied himself so pen had a strong sense of humour and justice and a not therefore an overweening respect for his own works besides he had his friend warrington at his elbow a terrible critic if the young man was disposed to be conceited and more savage over pen than ever he was to those whom he tried at his literary assize by these critical labours and by occasional contributions to leading articles of the journal when without wounding his paper this eminent publicist could conscientiously speak his mind mr arthur pendennis gained the sum of four pounds four shillings weekly and with no small pains and labour likewise be furnished magazines and reviews with articles of his composition and is believed to have been though on this score he never chooses to speak london correspondent of the chatteris champion which at that time contained some very brilliant and eloquent letters from the metropolis by these labours the fortunate youth was enabled to earn a sum very nearly equal to four hundred pounds a year and on the second christmas after his arrival in london he actually brought a hundred pounds to his mother as a dividend upon the debt which he owed to laura that mrs pendennis read every word of her son's works and considered him to be the profoundest thinker and most elegant writer of the day that she thought his retribution of the hundred pounds an act of angelic virtue that she feared he was ruining his health by his labours and was delighted when he told her of the society which he met and of the great men of letters and fashion whom he saw will be imagined by all readers who have seen son worship amongst mothers and that charming simplicity of love with which women in the country watch the career of their darlings in london if john has held such and such a brief if tom has been invited to such and such a ball or george has met this or that great and famous man at dinner what a delight there is in the hearts of mothers and sisters at home in somersetshire how young hopeful's letters are read and remembered what a theme for village talk they give and friendly congratulation in the second winter pen came for a very brief space and cheered the widow's heart and lightened up the lonely house at fair oaks helen had her son all to herself laura was away on a visit to old lady rockminster the folks of clavering park were absent the very few old friends of the house dr portman at their head called upon mr pen and treated him with marked respect between mother and son it was all fondness confidence and affection it was the happiest fortnight of the widow's whole life perhaps in the lives of both of them the holiday was gone only too quickly and pen was back in the busy world and the gentle widow alone again she sent arthur's money to laura i don't know why this young lady took the opportunity of leaving home when pen was coming thither or whether he was the more piqued or relieved by her absence he was by this time by his own merits and his uncle's introductions pretty well introduced into london and known both in literary and polite circles amongst the former his fashionable reputation stood him in no little stead 
he was considered to be a gentleman of good present means and better expectations who wrote for his pleasure than which there cannot be a greater recommendation to a young literary aspirant bacon bungay and company were proud to accept his articles mr wenham asked him to dinner mr wagg looked upon him with a favourable eye and they reported how they met him at the houses of persons of fashion amongst whom he was pretty welcome as they did not trouble themselves about his means present or future as his appearance and address were good and as he had got a character for being a clever fellow finally he was asked to one house because he was seen at another house and thus no small varieties of london life were presented to the young man he was made familiar with all sorts of people from paternoster row to pimlico and was as much at home at mayfair dining-tables as at those tavern-boards where some of his companions of the pen were accustomed to assemble full of high spirits and curiosity easily adapting himself to all whom he met the young fellow pleased himself in this strange variety and jumble of men and made himself welcome or at ease at least wherever he went he would breakfast for instance at mr plover's of a morning in company with a peer a bishop a parliamentary orator two blue ladies of fashion a popular preacher the author of the last new novel and the very latest lion imported from egypt or from america and would quit this distinguished society for the back room at the newspaper office where pens and ink and the wet proof-sheets were awaiting him here would be the new cane the sub-editor with the last news from the row and shandon would come in presently and giving a nod to pen would begin scribbling his leading article at the other end of the table flanked by the pint of sherry which when the attendant boy beheld him was always silently brought for the captain or mr bludyer's roaring voice would be heard in the front room where that truculent critic would impound the books on the counter in spite of the timid remonstrances of mr midge the publisher and after looking through the volumes would sell them at his accustomed bookstall and having drunken and dined upon the produce of the sale in a tavern-box would call for ink and paper and proceed to smash the author of his dinner and the novel towards evening mr pen would stroll in the direction of his club and take up warrington there for a constitutional walk this exercise freed the lungs and gave an appetite for dinner after which pen had the privilege to make his bow at some very pleasant houses which were open to him or the town before him for amusement there was the opera or the eagle tavern or a ball to go to in mayfair or a quiet night with a cigar and a book and a long talk with warrington or a wonderful new song at the back kitchen at this time of his life mr pen beheld all sorts of places and men and very likely did not know how much he enjoyed himself until long after when balls gave him no pleasure neither did farces make him laugh nor did the tavern joke produce the least excitement in him nor did the loveliest dancer that ever showed her ankles cause him to stir from his chair after dinner at his present mature age all these pleasures are over and the times have passed away too it is but a very very few years since but the time is gone and most of the men bloodier will no more bully authors or cheat landlords of their score shandon the learned and thriftless the witty and unwise sleeps his last sleep they buried honest doolan the other day never will he cringe or flatter never pull long-bow or empty whisky noggin any more 
the london season was now blooming in its full vigour and the fashionable newspapers abounded with information regarding the grand banquets routs and balls which were enlivening the plight world our gracious sovereign was holding levees and drawing-rooms at st james's the bow-windows of the clubs were crowded with the heads of respectable red-faced newspaper-reading gentlemen along the serpentine trailed thousands of carriages squadrons of dandy horsemen trampled over rotten row everybody was in town in a word and of course major arthur pendennis who was somebody was not absent with his head tied up in a smart bandana handkerchief and his meagre carcass enveloped in a brilliant turkish dressing-gown the worthy gentleman sat on a certain morning by his fireside letting his feet gently simmer in a bath whilst he took his early cup of tea and perused his morning post he could not have faced the day without his two hours toilet without his early cup of tea without his morning post i suppose nobody in the world except morgan not even morgan's master himself knew how feeble and ancient the major was growing and what numberless little comforts he required if men sneer as our habit is at the artifices of an old beauty at her paint perfumes ringlets at those innumerable and to us unknown stratagems with which she is said to remedy the ravages of time and reconstruct the charms whereof years have bereft her the ladies it is to be presumed are not on their side altogether ignorant that men are vain as well as they and that the toilets of old bucks are to the full as elaborate as their own how is it that old blushington keeps that constant little rose tint on his cheeks and where does old blondel get the preparation which makes his silver hair pass for golden have you ever seen lord hotspur get off his horse when he thinks nobody is looking taken out of his stirrups his shiny boots can hardly totter up the steps of hotspur house he is a dashing young nobleman still as you see the back of him in rotten row when you behold him on foot what an old old fellow did you ever form to yourself any idea of dick lacy dick has been dick these sixty years in a natural state and without his stays all these men are objects whom the observer of human life and manners may contemplate with as much profit as the most elderly belgravian venus or inveterate mayfair jezebel an old reprobate daddy longlegs who has never said his prayers except perhaps in public these fifty years an old buck who still clings to as many of the habits of youth as his feeble grasp of health can hold by who has given up the bottle but sits with young fellows over it and tells naughty stories upon toast and water who has given up beauty but still talks about it as wickedly as the youngest roue in company such an old fellow i say if any parson in pimlico or st james's were to order the beadles to bring him into the middle aisle and there set him in an armchair make a text of him and preach about him to the congregation could be turned to a wholesome use for once in his life and might be surprised to find that some good thoughts came out of him but we are wandering from our text the honest major who sits all this while with his feet cooling in the bath morgan takes them out of that place of purification and dries them daintily and proceeds to set the old gentleman on his legs with waistband and wig starched cravat and spotless boots and gloves it was during these hours of the toilet that morgan and his employer had their confidential conversations for they did not meet much at other times of the day the major abhorring the society of his own chairs and tables in his lodgings and morgan his master's toilet over and letters delivered had his time very much on his own hands 
this spare time the active and well-mannered gentleman bestowed among the valets and butlers of the nobility his acquaintance and morgan pendennis as he was styled for by such compound names gentlemen's gentlemen are called in their private circles was a frequent and welcome guest at some of the very highest tables in this town he was a member of two influential clubs in mayfair and pimlico and he was thus enabled to know the whole gossip of the town and entertain his master very agreeably during the two hours toilet conversation he knew a hundred tales and legends regarding persons of the very highest ton whose valets canvassed their august secrets just as my dear madam as our own parlour-maids and dependents in the kitchen discuss our characters our stinginess and generosity our pecuniary means or embarrassments and our little domestic or connubial tiffs and quarrels if i leave this manuscript open on my table i have not the slightest doubt betty will read it and they will talk it over in the lower regions to-night and to-morrow she will bring in my breakfast with a face of such entire imperturbable innocence that no mortal could suppose her guilty of playing the spy if you and the captain have high words upon any subject which is just possible the circumstances of the quarrel and the characters of both of you will be discussed with impartial eloquence over the kitchen tea-table and if mrs smith's maid should by chance be taking a dish of tea with yours her presence will not undoubtedly act as a restraint upon the discussion in question her opinion will be given with candour and the next day her mistress will probably know that captain and mrs jones have been a quarrelling as usual nothing is secret take it as a rule that john knows everything and as in our humble world so in the greatest a duke is no more a hero to his valet de chambre than you or i and his grace's man at his club in company doubtless with other men of equal social rank talks over his master's character and affairs with the ingenuous truthfulness which befits gentlemen who are met together in confidence who is a niggard and screws up his money-boxes who is in the hands of the money-lenders and is putting his noble name on the back of bills of exchange who is intimate with whose wife who wants whom to marry her daughter and which he won't know not at any price all these facts gentlemen's confidential gentlemen discuss confidentially and are known and examined by every person who has any claim to rank in genteel society in a word if old pendennis himself was said to know everything and was at once admirably scandalous and delightfully discreet it is but justice to morgan to say that a great deal of his master's information was supplied to that worthy man by his valet who went out and foraged knowledge for him indeed what more effectual plan is there to get a knowledge of london society than to begin at the foundation that is at the kitchen floor so mr morgan and his employer conversed as the latter's toilet proceeded there had been a drawing-room on the previous day and the major read among the presentations that of lady clavering by lady rockminster and of miss amory by her mother lady clavering and in a further part of the paper their dresses were described with a precision and in a jargon which will puzzle and amuse the antiquary of future generations the sight of these names carried pendennis back to the country how long have the claverings been in london he asked pray morgan have you seen any of their people sir francis have sent away his foreign man sir mr morgan replied and have took a friend of mine as own man sir indeed he applied on my recommendation you may recollect towler sir tall red-haired man but dies his heir was groom of the chambers in lord levant's family till his lordship 
broke hup it's a fall for taller sir but poor men can't be partickler said the valet with a pathetic voice devilish hard on taller by gad said the major amused and not pleasant for lord levant he he always knew it was coming sir i spoke to you of it michaelmas was four years when her ladyship put the diamonds in pawn it was toller sir took em in two cabs to dobry's and a good deal of the plate went the same way don't you remember seeing of it at blackwall with the levant arms and coronic and lord levant settin opposite to it at the marquis of steyne's dinner beg your pardon did i cut you sir morgan was now operating upon the major's chin he continued the theme while strapping the skilful razor they've took a house in grosvenor place and are coming out strong sir her ladyship's going to give three parties besides a dinner a week sir her fortune won't stand it can't stand it gad she had a devilish good cook when i was at fair oaks the major said with very little compassion for the widow amory's fortune marrow bland was his name sir marrow bland's gone away sir morgan said and the major this time with hearty sympathy said he was devilish sorry to lose him there's been a tremendous row about that monsieur maroblin morgan continued at a ball at Baymouth, sir bless his impatience he challenged mr arthur to fight a duel sir which mr arthur was very near knocking him down and pitching him out a winder and serve him right but chevalier strong sir came up and stopped the shindy i beg pardon the haltercation sir them french cooks has as much pride and insolence as if they was real gentlemen i heard something of that quarrel said the major but mirobolant was not turned off for that no sir that affair sir which mr harther forgave it him and behaved most handsome was hushed up it was about miss hamory sir that he had his dismissal those french fellows they fancy everybody is in love with them and he climbed up the large grapevine to her window sir and was a-trying to get in when he was caught sir mr strong came out and they got the garden engine and played on him and there was no end of a row sir confound his impudence you don't mean to say miss amory encouraged him cried the major amazed at a peculiar expression in mr morgan's countenance morgan resumed his imperturbable demeanour know nothing about it sir servants don't know them kind of things the least most probably there was nothing in it so many lies is told about families Roblin went away bag and baggage saucepans and pianer and all the feller at a pianer and wrote poetry in french and he took a lodging at clavering and he hankered about the premises and it was said that madame frisby the milliner brought letters to miss hamory though i don't believe a word about it nor that he tried to pison hisself with charcoal which it was all a humbug betwixt him and madame frisby and he was nearly shot by the keeper in the park in the course of that very day it chanced that the major had stationed himself in the great window of bayes's club in st james's street at the hour in the afternoon when you see a half-score of respectable old bucks similarly recreating themselves bayes's is rather an old-fashioned place of resort now and many of its members more than middle-aged but in the time of the prince regent these old fellows occupied the same window and were some of the very greatest dandies in this empire major pendennis was looking from the great window and spied his nephew arthur walking down the street in company with his friend mr popjoy look said popjoy to pen as they passed did you ever pass bayes's at four o'clock without seeing that collection of old fogies it's a regular museum they ought to be cast in wax and set up at madame tussaud's in a chamber of old horrors by themselves pen said laughing in the chamber of horrors 
yeah deuced good pop cried they are old rogues most of em and no mistake there's old blindell there's my uncle colchicum the most confounded old sinner in europe there's hello there's somebody rapping the window and nodding at us it's my uncle the major said pen is he an old sinner too notorious old rogue pop said wagging his head notorious old wogue he pronounced the words thereby rending them much more emphatic he's beckoning you in he wants to speak to you come in too pen said can't replied the other cut uncle call two years ago about mademoiselle frangipane tata and the young sinner took leave of pen and the club of the elder criminals and sauntered into black queers an adjacent establishment frequented by reprobates of his own age colchicum blondel and the senior bucks had just been conversing about the clavering family whose appearance in london had formed the subject of major pendennis's morning conversation with his valet mr blondel's house was next to that of sir francis clavering in grosvenor's place giving very good dinners himself he had remarked some activity in his neighbour's kitchen sir francis indeed had a new chef who had come in more than once and dressed mr blondel's dinner for him that gentleman having only a remarkably expert female artist permanently engaged in his establishment and employing such chiefs of note as happened to be free on the occasion of his grand banquets they go to a devilish expense and see devilish bad company as yet i hear mr blondel said they scour the streets by gad to get people to dine with them champignon says it breaks his heart to serve up a dinner to their society what a shame it is that those low people should have money at all cried mr blondel whose grandfather had been a reputable leather breeches maker and whose father had lent money to the princes i wish i had fallen in with the widow myself sighed lord colchicum and not been laid up with that confounded gout at leghorn i would have married the woman myself i am told she has six hundred thousand pounds in the threes not quite so much as that i knew her family in india major pendennis said i knew her family in india her father was an enormously rich old indigo planter know all about her clavering has the next estate to ours in the country ha there's my nephew walking with with mine the infernal young scamp said lord colchicum glowering at popjoy out of his heavy eyebrows and he turned away from the window as major pendennis tapped upon it the major was in high good humour the sun was bright the air brisk and invigorating he had determined upon a visit to lady clavering on that day and bethought him that arthur would be a good companion for the walk across the green park to her ladyship's door master pen was not displeased to accompany his illustrious relative who pointed out a dozen great men in that brief transit through st james's street and got bows from a duke at a crossing a bishop on a cob and a cabinet minister with an umbrella the duke gave the elder pendennis a finger of a pike-clay glove to shake which the major embraced with great veneration and all pen's blood tingled as he found himself in actual communication as it were with this famous man for pen had possession of the major's left arm whilst the gentleman's other wing was engaged with his grace's right and he wished all grey friars school all oxbridge university all paternoster row and the temple and laurel and his mother at fair oaks could be standing on each side of the street to see the meeting between him and his uncle and the most famous duke in christendom how do pendennis fine day were his grace's remarkable words and with a nod of his august head he passed on in a blue frock-coat and spotless white duck trousers in a white stock with a shining buckle behind old pendennis whose likeness to his grace has been remarked began to imitate him unconsciously 
after they had parted speaking with curt sentences after the manner of the great man we have all of us no doubt met with more than one military officer who has so imitated the manner of a certain great captain of the age and has perhaps changed his own natural character and disposition because fate had endowed him with an aquiline nose in like manner have we not seen many another man pride himself on having a tall forehead and a supposed likeness to mr canning many another go through life swelling with self-gratification on account of an imagined resemblance we say imagined because that anybody should be really like that most beautiful and perfect of men is impossible to the great and revered george the fourth many third parties who wore low necks to their dresses because they fancied that lord byron and themselves were similar in appearance and has not the grave closed but lately upon poor tom bickerstaff who having no more imagination than mr joseph hume looked in the glass and fancied himself like shakespeare shaved his forehead so as farther to resemble the immortal bard wrote tragedies incessantly and died perfectly crazy actually perished of his forehead these or similar freaks of vanity most people who have frequented the world must have seen in their experience pen laughed in his roguish sleeve at the manner in which his uncle began to imitate the great man from whom they had just parted but mr pen was as vain in his own way perhaps as the elder gentleman and strutted with a very consequential air of his own by the major's side yes my dear boy said the old bachelor as they sauntered through the green park where many poor children were disporting happily and errand boys were playing at toss halfpenny and black sheep were grazing in the sunshine and an actor was learning his part on a bench and nursery maids in their charges sauntered here and there and several couples were walking in a leisurely manner yes depend on it my boy for a poor man there is nothing like having good acquaintances who were those men with whom you saw me in the bow-window at baize's two were peers of the realm hobbenanob will be a peer as soon as his granduncle dies and he has had his third seizure and of the other four not one has less than his seven thousand a year did you see that dark blue broom with that tremendous stepping horse waiting at the door of the club you'll know it again it is sir hugh trumpington's he was never known to walk in his life never appears in the streets on foot never and if he is going two doors off to see his mother the old dowager to whom i shall certainly introduce you for she received some of the best company in london gad sir he mounts his horse at number twenty three and dismounts again at number twenty five a he is now upstairs at baize's playing piquet with count punter he is the second best player in england as well he may be for he plays every day of his life except sundays for sir hugh is an uncommonly religious man from half-past three till half-past seven when he dresses for dinner a very pious manner of spending his time pen said laughing and thinking that his uncle was falling into the twaddling state gad sir that is not the question a man of his estate may employ his time as he chooses when you are a baronet a county member with ten thousand acres of the best land in cheshire and such a place as trumpington though he never goes there you may do as you like and so that was his broom sir was it the nephew said with almost a sneer his broom oh ah yes and that brings me back to my point revenant à non mouton yes begad revenant à nous mouton well that broom is mine if i choose between four and seven just as much mine as if i jobbed it from tilbury's begad for thirty pound a month sir hugh is the best-natured fellow in the world and if it hadn't been so fine an afternoon as it is you and i would have been in that broom at this very minute on our way to grosvenor place that is the benefit of knowing rich men i dine for nothing sir i go into the country 
and i'm mounted for nothing other fellows keep hounds and gamekeepers for me sic vo non vobis as we used to say at greyfriars eh i'm of the opinion of my old friend leech of the forty-fourth and a devilish good shrewd fellow he was as most scotchmen are gad sir leech used to say he was so poor that he couldn't afford to know a poor man you don't act up to your principles uncle pen said good-naturedly up to my principles how sir the major asked rather testily you would have cut me in st james's street sir pen said were your practice not more benevolent than your theory you who live with dukes and magnates of the land and would take no notice of a poor devil like me by which speech we may see that mr pen was getting on in the world and could flatter as well as laugh in his sleeve major pendennis was appeased instantly and very much pleased he tapped affectionately his nephew's arm on which he was leaning and said you sir you are my flesh and blood hang it sir i've been very proud of you and very fond of you but for your confounded follies and extravagances and wild oats sir which i hope you've sown em i hope you've sown em begad my object arthur is to make a man of you to see you well placed in the world as it becomes one of your name and my own sir you have got yourself a little reputation by your literary talents which i am very far from undervaluing though in my time begad poetry and genius and that sort of thing were devilish disreputable there was poor byron for instance who ruined himself and contracted the worst habits by living with poets and newspaper writers and people of that kind but the times are changed now there's a run upon literature clever fellows get into the best houses in town begad tempora mutantur sir and by jove i suppose whatever is is right as shakespeare says pen did not think fit to tell his uncle who was the author who had made use of that remarkable phrase and ere descending from the green park the pair made their way into grosvenor place and to the door of the mansion occupied there by sir francis and lady clavering the dining-room shutters of this handsome mansion were freshly gilded the knockers shone gorgeous upon the newly painted door the balcony before the drawing-room bloomed with a portable garden of the most beautiful plants and with flowers white and pink and scarlet the windows of the upper room the sacred chamber and dressing-room of my lady doubtless and even a pretty little casement of the third story which keen-sighted mr pen presumed to belong to the virgin bedroom of miss blanche amory were similarly adorned with floral ornaments and the whole exterior face of the house presented the most brilliant aspect which fresh new paint shining plate glass newly cleaned bricks and spotless mortar could offer to the beholder how strong must have rejoiced in organizing all this splendor thought pen he recognized the chevalier's genius in the magnificence before him lady clavering is going out for her drive the major said we shall only have to leave our pasteboards arthur he used the word pasteboards having heard it from some of the ingenuous youth of the nobility about town and as a modern phrase suited to pen's tender years indeed as the two gentlemen reached the door a landau drove up a magnificent yellow carriage lined with brocade or satin of a faint cream colour drawn by wonderful grey horses with flaming ribbons and harness blazing all over with crests no less than three of these heraldic emblems surmounted the coats of arms on the panels and these shields contained a prodigious number of quarterings betokening the antiquity and splendour of the house of clavering and snell a coachman in a tight silver wig surmounted the magnificent hammercloth whereon the same arms were worked in bullion and controlled the prancing greys a young man still but of a solemn countenance with a laced waistcoat and buckles in his shoes little buckles unlike those which john and james the footmen wear and which we know are large and spread elegantly over the foot
one of the leaves of the hall door was opened and john one of the largest of his race was leaning against the door pillar with his ambrosial hair powdered his legs crossed beautiful silk stockinged in his hand his cane gold-headed dolicocion jeems was invisible but near at hand waiting in the hall with the gentleman who does not wear livery and ready to fling down the roll of haircloth over which her ladyship was to step to her carriage these things and men the which to tell of demands time are seen in the glance of a practised eye and in fact the major and pen had scarcely crossed the street when the second baton of the door flew open the horsehair carpet tumbled down the doorsteps to those of the carriage john was opening it on one side of the emblazoned door and jeems on the other the two ladies attired in the highest style of fashion and accompanied by a third who carried a blenheim spaniel yelping in a light blue ribbon came forth to ascend the carriage miss amory was the first to enter which she did with aerial lightness and took the place which she liked best lady clavering next followed but her ladyship was more mature of age and heavy of foot and one of those feet attired in a green satin boot with some part of a stocking which was very fine whatever the ankle might be which it encircled might be seen swaying on the carriage step as her ladyship leaned for support on the arm of the unbending jeans by the enraptured observer of female beauty who happened to be passing at the time of this imposing ceremonial the pendennises senior and junior beheld those charms as they came up to the door the major looking grave and courtly and pen somewhat abashed at the carriage and its owners for he thought of sundry little passages at clavering which made his heart beat rather quick at that moment lady clavering looking round the pair she was on the first carriage step and would have been in the vehicle in another second but she gave a start backwards which caused some of the powder to fly from the hair of ambrosial jeems and crying out lor if it isn't arthur pendennis and the old major jumped back to terra firma directly and holding out two fat hands encased in tight orange-coloured gloves the good-natured woman warmly greeted the major and his nephew come in both of you why haven't you been before get out blanche and come and see your old friends oh, i'm so glad to see you we've been waitin' and waitin' for you ever so long come in luncheon ain't gone down cried out this hospitable lady squeezing pen's hand in both hers she had dropped the major's after a brief wrench of recognition and blanche casting up her eyes towards the chimneys descended from the carriage presently with a timid blushing appealing look and gave a little hand to major pendennis the companion with the spaniel looked about irresolute and doubting whether she should not take fido his airing but she too turned right about face and entered the house after lady clavering her daughter and the two gentlemen and the carriage with the prancing greys was left unoccupied save by the coachman in the silver wig End of chapter thirty seven